Good morning. If you're visiting today, or if it is your first time uh, connecting with us online, let me just uh, tell you that uh, just uh, Pastor John has started a new series preaching from the Gospel of Luke. Last week, he preached about uh, repentance from Luke 3, 7 to 20. And in this passage, we saw how Jesus can take a brood of vipers, that is us, <laughs> and turn them into fruit-bearing trees. In our need, our hope, and in our lives, Today, as we continue in Luke, our focus will be more on Jesus' baptism and we'll be able to see the significance of this act and how that applies to us today. So let's read Luke 3, 21 to 38. It's in page 858. Actually, 859. Um, so Luke 321 to 38, I'm going to read. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph and the son of Heli, the son of Matath, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matathias, the son of Amos, the son of Naum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math the son of Matthias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Salatiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosan, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Matath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Matah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nason, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Naor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Pelech, the son of Eber, the son of Selah, the son of Cainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Cainan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to be with us and uh, touch my lips, Father, that I can express your word. Touch our minds, our hearts, that we can respond accordingly. Happily obedient 
to your voice, to your call, Father, just as your son did. Father, speak to us and uh, that we, our minds will glorify you and our ears would be ready to, to be receptive on your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So, kids, when you get good grades from school, or when you share your toys or do something good, how do you feel when your dad or mom congratulates you? Or they tell you, good job, we're so proud of you. You feel great, right? Feels good. And do you know why they tell you that? Well, it's because they are happy with you, because you have been putting a lot of effort into obeying and happily doing what you are supposed to. And that helps them feel good, just seeing them being obedient. And when I call my, my children to, to wash their hands, not often, but, but sometimes when they respond immediately and they go and wash their hands, I'm like, oh, it's good. I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> but have there been times when your mom or dad, they're not so pleased with you? Maybe your attitude has not been so good, or maybe you weren't obeying. Maybe you were fighting with your siblings, or maybe you were just not listening. Well, now do you think your parents stopped loving you because you've been bad, or not listening, or not sharing? They may get sad or mad because your attitude or disobedience creates this conflict. Then you doubt about their love to you. But you know, your parents will never stop loving you. But I am sure you love your parents too. And because of that, you want to obey them. But I know it's hard because there are so many things that distract us from listening. But one of the ways you can joyfully obey your parents is by constantly remembering their love for you and all the things they've done for you. Just thinking about this morning, where did you wake up? In your house, in your bedroom, laying down on a soft, nice bed, wearing warm pajamas, going to the dining table and enjoying a nice breakfast, even cereal. I mean, but it's good. It's the provision, right? Just think that thing about the effort your parents made for you to have those things. And that is not counting the toys, all the clothing, all the gadgets, you name it, that they have given to you. What about the time they spent with you playing, talking, even taking you or paying for you to different sports or classes or just watching a movie together? I can assure you, next time they ask you to do something or you just have to do what you're supposed to, it will be easier to joyfully obey if you think of their love and all they've done for you. Okay, so that's a challenge for you. That's your homework. Next time your parents ask you to do something, just think about the love they have for you and all the things you have through them. Sometimes in our relationship with God, we get confused about how he actually sees us. And sometimes we get confused about where our motivation, our joy, and hope come from. We may easily forget what God has already done for us. 
what we have already received from Christ's work on our behalf. If we can better understand the order of these truths, then our motivation and obedience can be truly rooted in our identity as dearly loved children. Today, as we continue in our series through the book of Luke, we're going to see how God sees us as his beloved children. Kids, your parents will always love you, even if you disobey. I mean, maybe your parents don't want me to say this, but, but even if you disobey, they will always love you. But there is no better love than God's love. And this is not because we have done anything good to deserve it or to please him. Actually, we have done everything wrong, wrong. But the difference is that for those who believe in him, Christ is the one that represents us before the Father. He is the one that has been completely obedient to what God has requested. And through that, we are God's beloved children. And as beloved children, what should our response be? So because Jesus' obedience, we are God's beloved children and can happily obey. So Jesus' obedience is demonstrated in his baptism. One of, the, one of the ways that he's proving his obedience. We read in verse 21, uh, as we read it, it says, Now when all the people were baptized and Jesus also had been baptized. Wait. Was not baptism representing repentance a symbol, symbol of purification and the cleansing of the sin? Well, then why was Jesus baptized if he was not conceived in sin, nor a sinner? Matthew answers part of this dilemma while narrating this same event, saying, Jesus came to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Jesus replied, let, us be, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's in Matthew 3, 13 to 15. Jesus is fully obeying the law. He's totally submitting to the will of the Father. It is that, the, to, that through his obedience in baptism, he represents all humanity. Two weeks ago, Pastor John reminded us about a similar account when Joseph and Mary take Jesus to be circumcised in obedience to the law, taking the sinful part of Jesus as the foreskin represents sin and rebellion against God in Colossians 2.13. Now, about 30 years later, Jesus' baptism echoes the same concept. Again, not that Jesus had to be put to death for his sin, or that he had uh, to be circumcised for the same reason. For he had no sin. But as humanity's representative, he is taking the sin of man, being engrafted into his body, buried with him in baptism, that humanity can rise again into new life. We can clearly see this in what Luke is pointing to when he gives Jesus' genealogy. There are some differences between this one and Matthew's genealogy. But the most important one is that instead of starting with Abraham and going down to David, all the way down to Jesus, Luke starts with Jesus. And then goes, goes up. And there's a, a, 
just one tiny difference is that, that Luke, Luke's focus, as we'll see and, and as we read it, uh, Luke's focus is on Mary, Mary's, Mary's uh, the tree line, right? And, and Matthew is, is going through Joseph's. But this one here, we see this difference that Luke starts with Jesus's. Jesus, then his father, uh, well, he said like supposedly uh, Joseph, but then goes up and goes to David and doesn't stop there, but continues going all the way to Abraham. And he doesn't stop there. He continues going up all the way to Abraham. And he doesn't, I mean, uh, Adam. And he doesn't stop there in Adam, but he says, Adam, the son of God. So you see the connection? Adam, who was representing all humanity and made it fall when he failed, now Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. Jesus takes humanity's place under the law as the sin bearer. As we see in Romans 5.21, and if you want to read Romans 5, it's, it's great just to see the connection, how Adam is representing all humanity. But it says in 5.21, as sin reigned in death, I mean through Adam, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to Christ, our representative, that through his righteousness we can receive abundance of grace and eternal life. And we are God's beloved children. The Apostle John, John points to Jesus in his gospel right before he gets baptized. Uh, right before Jesus gets baptized. And then it says about the, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes the sin of the world. And that is the Lamb of God who perfect obedience will take the bitter cup of the wrath of God, will be baptized with the baptism of the cross, as it is referred in Mark, Mark 10, 39. The baptism of Christ then it's not an ordinary thing. It is, as many have said, the mark of the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only as the promised Messiah, but also as the incarnate Son of God. Verses, continuing verses 21 to 22. And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The approval of the Father and the coming down of the Holy Spirit when Jesus is baptized shows the unity of the Trinity in this decision. But shows the heavy weight of such a commission. The request of the Father is not of little merit. It is, not, it is to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death. He is the suffering servant that humbly obeys the desire of the Father. For that reason, the Father is well pleased. And we read this confirmation uh, from Isaiah 42.1. And it was Hundreds of years, hundreds years before the Lord Jesus was here. But the confirmation is like, 
as we read, Behold my servant, who I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The Lord is well pleased with his beloved son and sets his spirit on him to give him the power he needs to fulfill his call, to bring justice to the nations by presenting himself as a living sacrifice to take away the sin of the world, presenting the nations totally righteous in him. So Luke points, we were talking about the certifications of Luke that, that uh, Luke is given to Jesus, and it says with his genealogy, he points that Jesus is the promised Messiah, confirming, uh, coming from the line of David, that he is the beloved son of God, who as an, an, an obedient servant, and pleases the Father by stating, by starting his ministry, anointed with the Holy Spirit to receive power to do it. So what are, are these certifications telling us? In the Old Testament, as we uh, look to the genealogy of Jesus, we see some of them that were great men. For example, Abraham, the father of the faith. Jacob, who becomes Israel, who contends with God. David, a man after God's own heart, etc. We see great men, but not, none of them can perfectly fulfill God's law for us. Even in their best behavior, they can only point to the one that can truly fulfill the law. Jesus comes in full obedience to those who come to him, who represent, who believe that he is the son of God, that he was the lamb of God who gave his life on the cross for your sin, for my sin. That is what we call the good news of the gospel. This is the best news we could ever hear. That while we deserve eternal punishment for our sins and death, Christ is giving us eternal life through his life, death, and resurrection. Through Christ, we are not only forgiven, but we become beloved children of God. God sees us through Christ's righteousness and says, You are my beloved child. In whom I delight. This blessing over blessing is called grace. If you have not come to God recognizing your sin, I invite you today to come and repent from your sins and receive Jesus in your heart, believing that He is the Son of God and that He has taken your sin on the cross. The blood that He shed on the cross was part of. His baptism done for us that we can live. If you have received Jesus in your heart and believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, then what is your response to such incredible grace? Now, as beloved children, what are we ought to do? And that takes us to our last point. We happily obey. The results of Christ's obedience to the Father is what helps us find our identity in the Father. Again, we don't deserve anything, but in Christ, we are beloved children. We can be thankful for that. Can we then seek what God is calling us to do, joyfully obeying Him? Last week, Pastor John helped us see our call to bear good fruits. And we can only do that 
if we are engrafted in Christ, who is the ultimate good tree, and only in him we can bear good fruit. And part of this fruit is repentance. How can we happily obey? It is, it is only possible to obey when we understand the depth of our sins. When we see the baptism of Christ as something that points to the cross and suffering he took for us. I can happily obey when I understand my helpless condition and constantly repent from my sinful ways, even from my good ways that push me away from God in which I feel like I am a better person. I'm proud of myself, not as needy as I am, I am truly. As parents, how do we feel when our children joyfully obey? When our children out of thankfulness want to please us, out of love wants to, they want to serve us, can we put that in perspective and switch back to become like a child with God? As I was sharing with the kids, can we think of the many blessings we have received from our Heavenly Father and respond out of thankfulness? thankfulness? He sent His Son to die on the cross so we can be freed, so we can receive eternal life, so we can be His beloved children can we rejoice in these benefits and joyfully obey? And not even counting the things that we have. We have a place to live. He has provided for us, for all of our needs, and even more than we can think or, or imagine. We are called to be, I mean, we are called to obey the law. And Jesus summarizes the law in Matthew 22, 37 and 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When James and John, the apostles, are asking Jesus to give them the best seats when he is glorified, Jesus replies, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized in the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able and remember, Jesus tells them that they actually will. That's in Mark 10, 38 and 39. And as we know by the historians that all of them, except John, drank the cup that he drank and were baptized in the same baptism, dying proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the grace of Christ. What, what helped them joyfully endure to death? What helped Christ endure to death? The love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that they would be able to enjoy the Father's presence in the coming glory. Luke tells us in Acts 2 about the coming of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised. And it is this power that helps the disciples preach the good news of the gospel, even to die for it. And we see a specific case with one of the disciples. Full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, after boldly confronting the elders and scribes from the synagogue and council, telling them how they have rejected all the prophets and now not only rejected but killed the Messiah. They took him out of the city and stoned him. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open." 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's in Acts 7, 54 and 60. So Stephen is joyfully obeying God's call. He's loving the Lord with all his heart, his soul and mind, and his neighbors as himself. That is why he's proclaiming the gospel. He finds the love of God with him, the Holy Spirit giving him the strength to endure death and knowing to whom he is going after dying. Stephen is not bitter, but joyfully following Jesus' steps, even forgiving his persecutors, just as his Lord taught him when he was on the cross. Many of Jesus' disciples die proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit that they can do that. Even in, Steve, in Stephen's case, we notice the evidence, evident close relationship he has with God. Christ prays to the Father and his Holy Spirit comes to him to strengthen him in what is to come. Not only when he's tempted, that we'll see next week, but all through his years of ministry, all the way to his death, even worse, which the disciples nor us will ever experience, Jesus had to go through the excruciating separation from the Father on the day of his crucifixion. Jesus exemplifies to his disciples what Stephen echoes in his death. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, this attitude is full of love and joyful obedience. The disciples were able to understand God's love and acceptance from them, for them, not for what they had done, but in whom they had put their faith and trust. They were full of the Holy Spirit and were able to joyfully obey, even to die, certainly knowing where they were going to. We are totally loved by God through Christ. We are full of the Holy Spirit, knowing where we're going after this life. Not that this life does not matter, but that this, this life matters less than we like to admit. That everything that this world wants, us to, wants to sell us we have much better, not only here and now, but even more then and there. How can we joyfully obey today? Can we love our Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, and mind? How about our neighbor? I confess that I have not loved our God as he requires I think I love myself more than anything. I am selfish, egocentric man. And my wife can attest to this. But with the love of the Father, the strength of the Holy Spirit, and having a better perspective of the eternal things, I can only depend on Christ to work in my life and help me love him, dying more and more to myself 
and live for his glory. If you struggle like I do, let me propose a challenge to us. Pray. Pray that God will help you know that his Holy Spirit is and will always be with you. Not only when you feel great, but also when you feel bad, sad, distracted, or lonely. Pray that the Holy Spirit reveals to you the depth of your sin. Those things that are taking his place. That is idolatry. To discover this, think of how you spend most of your time and energy. Consider what annoys you the most. Consider where or to what you run to first when things aren't going well or the way you want. This could be areas that God wants to free you from. Pray that the Holy Spirit gives you the strength to come out of your comfort zone to do those things that seem impossible in your own strength. Pray, thanking God for his son who died on the cross for those specific sins, thinking on all the benefits you have received through his life, death, and resurrection, and not forgetting his, provi his, his uh, providence and provision. Pray that the Holy Spirit reveals, reveals to you and gives you the strength to repent and change your ways. That God will bring people alongside that can, that can, can point at your flaws in a loving and edifying way. Many times I feel discouraged, lacking energy. Or just distracted. If you feel the same as I do. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit gives us the desire and delight to seek a deeper relationship with God. Every day. In prayer. Fasting. Reading and meditating on his word. Pray that you can find total enjoyment and fulfillment in him. Pray Pray, pray that heavens open and you can hear the Lord constantly say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all the benefits you gave us. Thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his baptism. Thank you because through it, you were pointing us. And he was pointing us to all the suffering he was going to take. Living a perfect life. Dying a perfect death in the cross. But also being raised from the dead risen from the day, death by your power, by the whole power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for his resurrection. Thank you because in him we have eternal life and we have a perfect hope. And in, 
his Holy Spirit, Father, we can obey. We can joyfully obey your call to glorify you with our lives, Father. Help us glorify you. Help us obey you, Father. Help us seek that relationship that can glorify you and can worship you. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.